Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest... Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Horror Podcast. That's right. For the month of October, Forgotten Cinema will be sinking their teeth into a horror movie a week. Each episode, we will highlight a horror movie, as I just said, that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, maybe audiences were too scared to see it in the theaters, like Butler is, or the movie (laughs) simply didn't catch on in its initial run. We'll break down all aspects of the movie, as well as discuss what we love or perhaps don't love about the movie, but we'll always suggest that you revisit if you're mad enough or woman enough to revisit if you enjoy our podcast please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts or ever podcasts are available and that was my best attempt at being creepy i can't do the rest of this podcast I'm too scared. <laughs> i can't i can't do it i'd uh yeah i wasn't i was i'm creepy <laughs> <laughs> so we are in our second week of forgotten horror oh yeah and it's a long one this this year it is. What do you mean, though? Forgotten Horror? Oh, we get to do five. Yes, it's because it's a five-week. Uh, as one of our fellow uh, managers is always happy to get paid three times in a, week, in a month. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which doesn't make any sense because it all evens out. Yeah. But regardless, we get paid twice a well, once every two weeks. Anyways, so for our second week, we are going to be doing the 2007 horror uh, thriller Stephen King adaptation 1408. I'm not sure if it's really I wouldn't I guess it's horror, but not really. It's more of ghost story thriller, right? I don't even know if it's a thriller. Does oh, it's it thrilling? thrilling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick. So 1408 stars John Cusack as Mike Enslin. Uh, it, well, and I'm going to go through the whole cast. And Samuel L. Jackson as Gerald Olin. He is the hotel manager. We'll get into the hotel. Uh, Mary McCormick as Lily. He plays. She is Mike Enslin's not ex. They're separated. They're separated. Right. Uh, Tony Shalhoub as Sam Farrell, who is the uh, editor. Nah, yeah, he's uh, he's Enslin's editor. Enslin is a uh, author. Mm-hmm. And I, I have one. I'm going to put this guy in here because I love this guy. So I don't know if you're familiar with the hotel engineer in this movie, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. You've probably seen him on like uh, the movie with Ed Helms, Cedar Rapids. He's been in a bunch of different things, but he I love him because he is Senator Clay Davis from The Wire. And he is awesome in that. And I will, every time I see him, all I think about is his his one big catchphrase, which everyone out there who's seen The Wire knows it. And he always, every time something happens, he always goes, she always does that. I'm doing it terrible, <laughs> but he is awesome. So anyways, I just. Oh, is he, that where they get in, um, in Rick and Morty? 
the one they're talking about, what are you going to do when you get out of Vietnam? And then Frankenstein goes, shoot. Yeah, that's that. He, he says that <laughs> he's in like all the seasons of The Wire. I think just four or five. And he that's his big thing. He's awesome in The Wire. And, and The Wire is awesome. So regardless. Well, but back to 1408. I apologize. <laughs> so 1408 was released on June 22nd, 2007. Uh, summer release, obviously, the couple weeks before, a well, week and a half before the 4th of July, which is a big weekend. Mm-hmm. So it opened up against uh, some pretty big, it, some pretty big uh, movies. Well, actually, no, one big movie, Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty opened up the same same date. Evan Almighty opened up to three hundred, excuse me, thirty four hundred screens, whereas fourteen oh eight opened about twenty six hundred. So it was already not as many. Yeah. It also opened up against The Mighty Heart, which is uh, Angelina Jolie's movie. I think that's the one where she is saving the gorillas or something like that, or she's down in the, uh, some kind of jungle. I don't know what it is. I, I never saw it. The name sounds familiar, but uh, yeah. Maybe not Maybe not gorillas. Maybe it's a, a humanitarian effort kind of thing. I think it was something like that. All right. Which I, I don't know how that's a summer movie, because that, that seems a little bit more like fall Oscar season movie. But I never saw the movie, so I can't really speak to it. Rated PG-13, 94 minutes. Of course, me and Mike watched the extended version, which is yeah. 112 minutes. So we, uh, I have, uh, fun fact, I have only seen parts of this movie. Yeah. So I had never really seen this movie. So this is the first time I've seen this film. So, but of course I watched the extended. So Mike is going to have more, I guess, insight as to what is different from the theatrical to the extended, which mm-hmm. is fine because we did that for A-Team and a couple other ones that we had. We had a couple differences here and there. Yeah. So just to give you also an idea of not just when it released on the 22nd, kind of what was around it on the 27th, which is the Wednesday after that release was Live Free or Die Hard, which is the fourth Die Hard movie. Mike is shaking his head because he doesn't like it. I'm not a fan. I will say this, that the fifth Die Hard movie makes the fourth Die Hard movie look really good. See, and this is like comparing um, one turd to another turd. (laughs) I think the fifth Die Hard movie was a little better than the fourth one because the fifth one relied more on practical effects for the most part and had the awesome truck scene in Russia. And the fourth one relied on a jet and like all just uh, just CGI crap. And yeah, it was not. It, it no, was not I, I hear you. Like. I will say the other the other difference between the, the, the Die Hard four and Die Hard five was Die Hard five. He was very grumpy old man. Like, you know what I mean? Like he his character was just kind of like, Ugh, I don't want to do any of this. It was very his just the way he was but in the fourth one it was a little bit more like mclean from the first three I, you have to watch him again i don't i think uh, the opposite we are not here for die hard okay <laughs> we are not true. here for the die hard franchise this is true so again so the 27th is live for your die hard the 29th which is the that friday is ratatouille which is awesome mm-hmm. uh and that's the pixar animated movie about the rat that cooks and you know cooks food and cooks it well i guess uh and then the claire danes movie evening which i also have not seen it's like a romantic drama i believe yeah no i, 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 sh- one, yeah. I know you're shaking your yeah head. I- so that those that's what came the week after this 1408 the week before was fantastic for rise of the silver surfer <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing uh, i like that they have the it's 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 called fantastic and it's a movie's anything but fantastic. it's better than the newer fantastic four reboot Almost everything's better. This is true. And also that same day was Nancy Drew, which I kind of liked. That's the one with uh, Emma Emma Roberts. Yes. Nancy Drew is okay. And then the week after that, June 8th was Ocean's 13, Hostel Part 2, and the animated movie Surf's Up. So again, you're in the summer. You're in the middle of the summer, the 22nd. You've got all these. Ocean's 13 is is big. It's going to be big. It's got the two uh, sequels before it. The two movies before it, excuse me. 
Uh, I mean, Fantastic Four was good enough to get a sequel. I don't know how really I didn't really look into how well it did. I didn't hate the original Fantastic Four. I just really it was meh. And this one, second one was right really bad. But I will tell you this, that on the opening weekend for 1408, it was came in second because Evan Almighty came in at 31 million. Yeah, 1408 made 25 in its opening weekend. Oh, excuse me, 20 million scope in a weekend. It only beat the Fantastic Four movie by six hundred thousand dollars. So Fantastic Four was third, but barely. So, I mean, it still did business. Well, Fantastic Four is a family superhero movie. It's super unoffensive to all parties. 1408, <laughs> you can't. It might be rated PG-13, but you're not taking your kids to see 1408. I guess not. I mean, I mean, based on our clientele at our theater. Yeah, some sure. some yeah, people they're, do. They're, some they're kids brilliant. do. Yeah, uh, some adults do. Yeah. All right. So anyways, uh, like I said, opening weekend, it made 20 million. Its budget, the 1408's budget was 25 million. Domestic, it made 71 worldwide, 132. So not bad for a $25 oh, yeah. million dollar movie. I mean, I'm su- I mean, it, it played. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was that was something that kind of took me by surprise because we know we usually find forgotten movies that are like they don't do anything at the box office. Right. So uh, and this was your suggestion. So like that, that the question of why you think is forgotten is probably better for you than me. But we'll get to that. We okay. don't have to. Get yeah. To that. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that was it. I, that's basically the production facts I have. It went through the cast. Uh, oh, let me give you some of the crew. Uh, directed by Mikhail Hofstrom, which I probably said that wrong. He directed Derailed, The Right Escape Plan. Done a lot of, uh, he's a Swedish director, so he's done a lot of more movies uh, overseas. Mm-hmm. Written by Matt Greenberg, for those of you who remember, he wrote Reign of Fire. Yep. He wrote, well, he wrote the, the rewrite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, in this, he, I guess he's rewritten, or they, he, I think he wrote the original script for this, and then he was, um, then Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski came on to do another rewrite. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with them. I am. They they did uh, Ed Wood, The People vs. Larry Flint, Problem Child series, which I just threw in there because I thought that was funny. Big Eyes, Goosebumps, Dolomite is my name, a new one that, that's coming on Netflix. They okay. wrote that. Did you ever see The People vs. Larry Flint? Or I Ed did. Wood? That's did, good. Yeah. Did you see Ed Wood? Yep. Yeah. Their first two are really good. I didn't yeah. see. What was the one where you thought was funny? The uh, they did the Problem Child series. I just threw that in. I there don't know what that yeah, is. That's like, um, it's like almost John Ritter was in the first one. It's like the. It's kind of like Dennis the Menace, but updated. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. It's not great. Big Eyes is good. Big and Goose Goose. I like Goosebumps. I still have yet to see Goosebumps. Really? I'll get there. Goosebumps would have been a good one for us because I feel like nobody talks about it. Like, they, the, just had I, a, they just had a sequel. Yeah, but the sequel doesn't have Jack Black in it. So why bother? <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So maybe next year's forgotten. And I do want to see Dolomite is my name. That's the Eddie Murphy movie coming out on yeah, Netflix. That looks, yeah, yeah, that looks funny. Uh, obviously, I told you it was an ad- adaptation based on a short story by Stephen King. And real quickly, because I just threw this in here. Uh, the inspiration for this story came from a collection of real life news stories uh, of a parapsychologist who ha- would investigate who investigated a notorious haunted room at the Hotel del Coronado in California. And then another like another hotel in like the East Coast that's undisclosed. It's a it's an that inspiration is that and uh, the short story, The Red Room by H.G. Wells. So that's where King got his inspiration to write this. Okay. And actually, he wrote this story. He wrote 1408 as kind of like. Um, a sample, a writing sample for his on writing book, which if you have not read is really good. If, if any writers out there, you want to read it. Well, it's I didn't really even good. know he had one. He has an on writing book, but it's not like, hey, this is how you should write. It's all about just the I just just kind of like how he writes and, st- and his stories and stuff like that. I have watched like conferences and stuff like that where he talks about his writing process and yeah. stuff. And it's always really fascinating. It, 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 the book is really good. The book does not read like. Because a lot of these writing books out there will tell you, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. This so is like you, a textbook. And yeah. that, his book is not like that. It's really good. It's not long. It's a, it's a quick book. But he had originally wrote 1408 as like a sample for that. And then he liked it. 
he was he was like really intrigued by it so he took it and made it into a short story nice. so i thought that was interesting um but that's all i really have about in terms of facts and stuff like that we'll get into kind of um you know what we thought watching it are you for rewatching it mm-hmm. did it change for you in terms of the last time you saw it like did you i don't know like it more or less oh shoot yeah so anyways <laughs> uh like i said i like to skip over a lot of stuff mike break it down all right, so 1408 is about John Cusack's character, Mike Ensland. He is, as uh, Field has already said, he's a horror writer. He was a, a novelist, you find out. But now, currently, he's just going around town to town doing, you know, top 10 scariest That's, places, he writes hotels, those, yeah, destinations. Yeah, the cheapo travel he, books. He almost writes, like, blog entries. Like, you know, like, IUC, like, lists now, right, listicles yeah. and stuff like that. He almost, like, does that, but in book form. In book form, yeah. which I guess back then would have been, you know. He'd probably be a big blogger, right? If you remade this, which I'm sure we always get to, he would absolutely be a, be a blogger. blogger yeah. Yeah. So he goes from hotel to hotel and he has never actually experienced a haunting. So he rates hotels more based on how good the hotel was and then gives it skull ratings. So, but he is, <laughs> he's always wanted to look for a haunting or a ghost or some proof of the afterlife, which we find out later on is because he had a child that passed away. And so he is kind of a reclusive drunk. He's separated from his wife. So he gets all this mail about new horror destinations or whatever back home. And he gets one postcard from the dolphin Inn or the dolphin hotel in Manhattan. And the postcard simply reads, don't stay at 1408 or don't stay at room 1408. Don't go into 1408 or something like that. So he's intrigued and he looks up the dolphin hotel. He looks up that there have been a bunch of mysterious deaths at the hotel and does his best to check into the hotel, even going so far as getting his editor uh, Sam, played by Tony Shalhoub, to get a lawyer to say, hey, you can't not let me stay at this in this room. And the hotel is doing everything they can to keep him from it. Uh, obviously, Sam Jackson plays the hotel manager once he gets there and convinces, tries to convince Mike to not stay at the hotel. He gives him all the information on 22 other natural deaths at that have appeared at the hotel and tells him these horror stories of that maids have to work in pairs. They always clean the rooms. They, they always change the bulbs. They take care of the room like any other. But everyone works in pairs. One hotel maid got locked in a bathroom for an hour only. And when they finally were able to open the door, she had gouged out her eyes and she was laughing hysterically. So this room is clearly something wrong with it. And one of my <laughs> favorite lines in the movie, in fact, one of my favorite lines in any horror movie is when Mike Enslin goes, so you, you're telling me there's a phantom. There's a ghost. I don't believe in ghosts. And then Sam Jackson tells him, you know, did I say it was haunted? It's an evil fucking room. And that is one of my favorite lines. I love that line. Um, so Mike ends up staying in the room despite all the warnings. And he's told no one ever lasts more than an hour in the room. His first couple minutes in the room are pretty normal. Nothing happens. Then all of a sudden, it seems like turndown services happen in his room while he's in it. And then the alarm goes off and the alarm starts a countdown timer starting at 60 minutes and counting down. And after that, the film just goes, it moves as this room tortures and haunts and tries to. It moves. It, 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 it's quick. It, it, uh, yes. Here we go. All right. Great. <laughs> as it tortures and haunts Mike and tries to basically get him to either kill himself or to let the room kill him, do whatever, do whatever it can to get Mike to be another one of its victims. And that's basically the rest of the movie is, is this house just kind of, you know, messing with Mike's room. Yeah, this yeah. room. So real quick with the postcard, it says don't enter 1408. And the only reason I know that is because supposedly when you add up the words, they equal 13. So 1408, if you add them together, it equals 13, like all that stuff. There's oh, like a ton of stuff too. in this movie where everything like 
because he's on the 13th floor technically because there's no 14th right no 13th. yeah so yeah that's there's a ton of that stuff in the movie I don't think you liked this movie. Uh, <laughs> I think you might be right. I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I mean, I don't know. It's I got bored. Like I got re- maybe maybe because I'm watching a twenty because uh, I was watching it and I'm like, man, this is dragon. And like, I know that I was watching the extended cut, so I know there was like because it's like twenty minutes. It's it is way longer than the original version and. I mean, do you, do you want me to tell you what was different? What was most where that mostly comes from? Why don't you just well, I would just how about when we start talking about it when you say okay. hey, just pop it up. I'll, I'll pop in. Yeah, like okay, the okay. parts you might not like are the parts I didn't like this time. Okay, because when I'm starting to watch, I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't remember yeah. that. I don't remember that. So this is the first movie that you haven't seen. So I'm gonna I, I, now I get to play the. What did you think of it? What What were your opinions? <laughs> yeah. about? What are your thoughts? What are my thoughts? All right, so. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. Uh, I, I don't know. I did. I John Cusack. I, I like John Cusack, but he plays like disaffected asshole, like as better as anyone else. And I don't know if like that's just him or that's just the ca- a character he knows. I had the same conversation with my fiance when we were watching this. Yeah. He's like a real like it's all, like I feel like does he want to do this movie? Like that's what it felt like. And I don't know. I mean, it. I don't know. Like he wanted to do this movie. I just feel like he played the character really well. Right. But like he played like that's a character that I like. Would you have rather a different type of character be because it's it's essentially his movie. Well, that's the thing. We were talking like we talk about a lot of times that, um, you know, when you watch a movie and somebody is an actor portrays a role, could you see someone else in that role? Like we were having the conversation about Boogie Nights with Mark Wahlberg. And I said that, you know, I. You know, I can see somebody else playing that role of Dirk Diggler. Sure. I, I I like Mark Wahlberg in the role, but I could see somebody else taking that over. But and staying within the same movie, Burt Reynolds character, I don't see. I can't see anybody playing that role. That role is like perfect. No, that, for that Burt role Reynolds. Was almost like me, right. me, that was his role. Right. And I, even to the point where I went back and look. I know we're off tangent again. Even to the point where I went back and looked at who won the Oscar that year, and I was like, and Robin Williams won for Good Will Hunting. And while I like Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting. I really think that Burt Reynolds should have won for Boogie Nights because he is just, he's so good in that movie. And maybe just because he recently passed away and, I'm, and I know Robin Williams passed away five years ago. I just I don't know. I just. It, there's there's roles that certain people are the only ones to play. And in terms of 1408, I can I can't really see anyone else doing th- this role. Well, what if it well, if it, did you like that disaffected kind of character? Was that what you liked? Did you like or did that take you out of it? Is that yeah. one of the reasons it was boring? Would you not? Maybe not John Cusack, but like a different character type in the story. If we're to follow a different character in the same situation, in the same room, because that disaffected character is who we're watching the whole time. It is ma- it his character type? It makes me not like him. It makes me it makes him unlikable to me in the beginning because he's I, I get it. He's mean to those people. And then they kind of show him doing the book signing. And he's just kind of like, you know, there's three people in the room and he's just kind of like, you know, F this and right. all that stuff. And then he, and then the book though she brings him the first the long road home or the long yes, way home. I think it's the long road home. Yeah. yeah, and he signs that, and he's completely just like disregarding it. I think maybe for me, I understand what they were trying. Like his daughter dies, and it turns it he leaves his house. He just leaves home. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he blames his wife. He blames himself. Just you know, because she's died, he couldn't handle it. And we get all that kind of within the movie, and he's become this type of person. Problem is that. 
I don't know if I saw enough on screen or where I really felt for him in terms of, you know, what's happening to him. Like it, it didn't feel like when he goes, I want to go to 1408. I want to go to 1408. You really don't, you really don't get the personal stuff until he's in the room. I never get any of the stuff about his family before the room. You get that one line in the book signing of, of where you kind of get a hint of it. It's like, Oh, the relationship between the father and son was so real. You know, is that right. something you have experience with? And he says, he takes a long pause and goes, no, but here's the thing. What was the relationship? I know they show it. I know that he sees him a couple of times in the And then they have that scene where um, he's looking down or he's looking, I don't know, what is he doing? He's like, oh, he's in the grates. He's in the vent. And he's looking through the grates and he right. sees the scene where his father's yelling at him because he's going to leave. Yeah. But that, that that's not really their relationship. That's more like, I, I, again, I just don't think I, I just don't think I saw enough to really like feel for him in terms of when all this shit was happening in 1408 inside the room. Um, but And which, do you, did you notice that? Because this is one of the notes in there that he goes through the five stages of grief when he's in the room. Like that's the whole. No, not so really. Once he gets in the room, he goes through those five stages of denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance in, while he's in the room. And I think obviously it, it's within the room itself, but also his daughter in, in terms of like you know what I mean. I know what they were trying to do both ways, like being right. in the room, accepting that you're not going to leave, or and your daughter dying, accepting that. But I don't know. I just I, I I needed more. I think, and I think. Because he was an unlikable asshole in the beginning, that's all I was shaded with. And then once the shit started happening in the room, I kind of was just like, eh, I don't feel bad for you. And I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. That's kind of like the reaction I had. Okay. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm wrong. I could be wrong. That's fine. That's a, that's good. that's <laughs> your opinion. That's fine. Well, I find that if if you didn't have that kind of self centered kind of jerk mentality, it would be really boring. Because the self-centered jerk is talking to himself on the on the walkie. He's so sure of himself. He's not gonna get scared. He's 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 invulnerable to the, these hauntings. And I think if you put a character that you felt for, if you put a character that was feeble or weaker or you know, not that feeling emotion or grief or whatever, and showing that isn't his weakness, but if you didn't have him as such a stalwart, like this person needs to be broken down. Right it wouldn't have been as good. And, and a lot of horror movies or ghost stories that are like one person alone in a house, that person is really like, nope, you're not getting me. I'm not scared. And mm -hmm. it's this monster breaking them down. In this case, the room is the monster. Right. When you when we talk about it and when we discuss it, the idea, the, the idea, it makes sense. I'm just, I think the execution didn't work for me because I needed Mary McCormick. I needed to see his wife, Lily, played by Mary McCormick earlier. I agree. And I think that's part of what makes the extended edition worse because <laughs> i'm watching the beginning and i'm like i don't remember this i don't remember this well what do you what, what in the beginning in terms of when he goes to the inn in, in fairfield county i don't remember a lot of the inn in fairfield county right. i don't remember i remember the surfing i remember him getting the postcard i don't remember as much of him trying to research 1408 and stuff like that okay um the the beginning is just a lot longer than i remember which kind of drags i'm just like i remember this movie really moving like i said before when i when i say it really moves when I saw it in theaters and I I saw it again later on, uh, I thought I owned it. Apparently, I don't. I, <laughs> my parents or my fiance's parents must have owned it because I have seen it at least twice. I remember it being like, I'm a writer. I'm in the hotel. Yep. And that doesn't happen in this. It takes a long time to get to the hotel. And, and I was I, a little disappointed. In and that. again, they don't. And you don't know that he you 
really don't know that he was married. You don't know any of that. You don't really know a lot of that, which is when you're watching the original version, because it's so quick to get to the hotel and then you're in the hotel and that's when you find out the original movie is like what it was 90 minutes, 94 minutes, 94 minutes. So it, it moves. You're in the hotel and the hotel starts the conversation. Then essentially it's that hour where he's in the hotel room. So you learn about Lily and you learn about the daughter pretty quick. Pretty uh, early okay, on. Okay, I get that. That makes sense. So this, I think this, a lot of the extended edition does it a disservice. It's a short story and it's a short movie, which really works for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. The, there was four alternate endings, not just the theatrical and the extent. Yeah, I know. That's so, too many. Come on. So the theatrical, so I, I, I know we don't do spoiler alerts anymore, so good. So the theatrical <laughs> ending, he lives and he get he gets back together with his wife, Lily, and then they hear the tape recorder of the daughter. Yes. And you know, like, oh my God, it was real. The director's cut, which we saw, was he dies. Yep. And he's like, and then they have, they do, they redo the tape recording with Olin, with Jackson's character, yeah, like, which in, I don't, yeah. I, I didn't like. And, and I'll get into that. Um, the second alternate is Mike dies and the book is sent to the publisher, the one that he writes in his dream state. Like the publisher gets it. Um, okay. Uh, his editor, uh, Tony Shalhoub's character, Sam Farrell. The third alternate ending. So that that which is technically the fourth. So the theatrical director's second, and the third one, Mike lives, and then he's in California with Lily, and that's it. Like that's the third one, and I guess that third one played in Japan and like some other country, but then they replaced it with the director's cut ending. I don't like the director's <laughs> or the cut theatrical ending, ending at all. I, yes, and one of the reasons I don't like it is because why is why is Olin getting the emotional ending? It's not his movie and he's getting the ending with the tape recorder and then he turns around and he sees the burned body of Mike in his back seat, and then he sees this father and daughter walking off like it's supposed to be symbolic and then you cut to the hotel burnt out hotel room and the right. Mike's image is in there smoking and he's going off to his daughter's voice. It's like that makes no sense. Not only going off to his daughter's voice, he's got his arm around her, even though she's not there. So he's he's a visible ghost, but she's an invisible ghost. Yeah, that's like he's in purgatory then. He's in like legit hell at that point. There's no like there's no like that's not a satisfied ending. And, no. and, and I don't know why you're giving the, the hotel manager the emotional kind of like plug at the end. It's not his movie. So you've created this movie that's supposed to be Ensign's movie in 1408. And then at the end, you give the the emotional ending to the hotel manager. Right. And with Mike, it's like he sacrifices himself for the room, but he doesn't if he doesn't live through the experience, he doesn't learn from the experience. He doesn't have that life changing moment. So if this is supposed to be him going through the stages of grief, which I actually really like and never noticed that before. Um, next time I watch this again, <laughs> I'd have to, I'll have to <laughs> listen. I like this movie a lot. It's good that you own it now. I, <laughs> I, digitally on my Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> Why is why is this so hard to find? It's two thousand. Why are whatever. any movies so hard to find? I've forgotten. They don't, people don't like you. We people don't a, like us. We picked the wrong podcast <laughs> <laughs> for my wallet. Um, but yeah, he's not going through. If he goes through the stages of grief, and we're gonna watch him do that, he should be living through it and learning from the experience. You you don't have a, a story, or which is essentially horror movies are supposed to be kind of a, a lesson to be learned. Sure. And if you kill off every character, and in this case, you have one character, mm-hmm. and then you kill him off. Mm-hmm. you're not learning anything at the end. Nothing's happening. There's no life-changing moment. There's no uh, cathartic moment for your main character because, well, I guess setting the room on fire is his moment, but that, I think it's an, in, I think it's an internal moment. It's, 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 it's all him. internal to him, personal to him. It doesn't and like not to, it's not to satisfy anybody else, but his own mindset. But if this whole thing is supposed to be him learning to accept that his daughter's dead, yes. and he's not with his daughter. And then you 
give him his daughter at the end, basically. Oh, go with your daughter. Yeah. What? Yeah. He, nothing. Nothing's happened. Nothing. Nothing's learned. He's he gets to be with his daughter, and he doesn't have to learn not to be with her anymore. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm trying to because th- because like I said, it's tough. It's this is actually it's weird with this one because I had not seen it. So, so you're watching. I'm, the I'm processing in my head as we're talking the movie. So uh, I know because you're talking. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking about the movie, trying to think like, okay, yeah, and then then that happened, then this happened, then yeah. So I understand what you're saying. If it's an internal, if it's a personal kind of like, I don't want to say win, but achievement in his for his character right. and learn something, as you say in a horror movie. Yeah, what does he learn? But I want to go be with her, so I'm gonna die. Like it's supposed to be like when when the one fight that they show between him and his wife after their child passes, the one thing that they show is that he's like, we should have done more. We should we should have you should have done. We should have checked more and all that stuff. And he flips out. And I'm gonna go get some cigarettes right. or whatever it is. Okay, so you felt like you didn't do enough. So then, shouldn't you understand like it didn't? Shouldn't the lesson be like there wasn't anything you could do? So. I don't understand. What are you accepting about that? Then you should just then shouldn't you want to live like exactly? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Why? Because then because I know we talked about you talked about how he, um, you know, go, he burns the room basically at the end of the thing. He, like he kills it. To, yeah, yeah, he tries he to burn the room and with him inside. And the different alternate endings are people pull him out or people don't pull him out. Like that's the whole thing, basically, whether he survives yeah. or not. So, yeah, shouldn't his acceptance be that like it wasn't my fault? I shouldn't be this way. I should go on and live and, and love my wife and, you know, Whatever, which I thought was like what the room is showing him in that alternate. I don't think the room gives a shit if the room's evil. I I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the room is clearly evil, but the room is is almost like the devil, like showing him like his wrongs. Like that's right. So you've already got that. This is your lesson. This is what you should have done, but you didn't. So now you're in hell. Right. Right. So he stays in hell. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks. It's it's Mm -hmm. and I'm 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 I was mad after watching it, and then I was like. I have to get the mic. Don't watch this. Version. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, and it was because the original ending, I feel, is a really powerful moment where you see him moving with Lily. He's 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 writing his book about the hotel room. I've already written it. And he gets a tape recorder back and he plays it. And of course, she's just talking about it like it's some kind of weird, you know, vivid dream. And then he plays the recorder and she hears um, Katie, the name of their daughter. And then she's like just shocked. And it's just their acceptance of. Which it happened and there is maybe life after death or something like that, because that's what they talk about earlier in the flashback as well. When Katie's asking, you know, where do people go when they die? But one could argue that it's just the The room room that's messing with him. And maybe. Oh, but still, you could say, like, well, there is an afterlife because obviously it's a demon. There is. Yeah, there is a supernatural. Right. There's really no like you could take that any way. Right. You you can't just take like she's out there. Like, that's not really how you can take that. No. But I do like that ending and that acceptance of like, oh, man, it is real because a lot of movies like this. And not that there are a lot of movies like this. Right. You know, at the end, their main character kind of seems seems crazy if they tell anyone because there's no proof of it. And this tape recorder with that voices is really good. I also think it's kind of like in the sixth sense when he turns up the uh, tape recorder and he can hear the Spanish uh, slave. Oh, right. Praying in the uh, attic. Right. No, that didn't make this. Yeah, that was what was six cents? 98. Yeah, you're right. Yep. No, 99. 99. No, right. 98. 99. 99. 99. 99. Same as Yep, yep, yep. Which is another episode we did if you want to listen to that. Episode four? I believe so. Nice. I remembered. Did you know that Keanu Reeves was attached to play this part? How do you always find out who else was supposed <laughs> to play these parts? Could you see that? No. No. <laughs> this, is the, this is one of the first times where just it's a flat out no. No, I, I 
don't know. I mean, he did do a really good dejected guy in Constantine, but he was also yeah. He's not like I I I don't I can't see that kind of sm- like the snark. I guess the well, he probably would play it I, different. Yeah, but I I don't know. The other thing I about, like Keanu though, so maybe the other thing about Mike Gunson's character that I did not like was his wardrobe. Like he wore the worst shirts and they were like, they didn't fit and they were all like big. and like, what? He looks gross. Like who? I mean, I mean, maybe that's on purpose. I think he's, yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, well, he's a writer. So you don't really, you're insular. You don't really care yeah. about, well, I didn't care about it. I didn't, the outside. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't care for the wardrobe choices, but like even like even one point when he goes and visits his dad after he's in this dream state and he's wearing this like corduroy, uh, <laughs> felt shirt. And his I'm like, what is this? Type outfit? Yeah. Yeah. Really bothered me. I don't know why it bothered me. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the open Hawaiian shirt with an undershirt underneath a blazer as well. Yeah, that's like what every that's what every I'm sorry, but whatever douche filmmaker wears when they go to like their premieres when they or like, oh yeah like, when they go to like their events where they're they they're like you know showing their movie to their friends and family they always wear the t shirt with the blazer with the jeans and the sneakers and the blazer. And it's like, I get it. It was, it was cool in the nineties. We are way past that. <laughs> Please wear something else. Even that's not as bad as the double Hawaiian shirt blazer combo. Just not a Hawaiian shirt, man. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I like Hawaiian shirts. I'm kind of wearing one right now, but I'm with, not putting with sharks on it. No, the sharks, the sharks, salmon. I don't know. They're very salmon looking. Sharks. <laughs> They're definitely not the toughest looking sharks. <laughs> Um, I did like some of the camera angles. Um, I know when they show the key, when he's when he's oh, looking like at the thing. Yeah. Um, when you saw when you saw Mini Sam Jackson in the free in the fridge, uh, they repeat the shot in the post office when he looks in and gets his gets mail. mail. Yeah, so those shots are pretty cool. The one thing I didn't, I don't know if I like or I don't like, was they use a lot of like quick shots to heighten the suspense. So like. It's a one shot and then it's like, boom, 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 boom. And it's like, you're just showing me shots. And it's like, so, and I, it's like the intent is to like put me un- unnerve me, I guess. Right. And I, and when you're in the room, you do have to do a lot of that because you're in one room and you really don't have a lot to work with. So I right. know, you know, so I did, I don't, I, I guess it worked. I just don't know if I loved it. Well, I always, I felt like the quick shots were also kind of like, you're almost like you're, you're with Mike in the room mm-hmm. because he's going to be looking everywhere to see where his next, where the next attack or where the next haunting or, mm-hmm. or vision is going to come out of. I also really like the, the use of colors in the, uh, in the hotel room. Okay. As so, such as it's, it's very obvious. It's warm in more than one way when he enters, but the, the lighting is very warm. It's bright. And then when, you know, it becomes nighttime, he turns off all the lights, the lights over the paintings kind of light the scene. All right. Okay. So it's not kind of when we talked about movies like Red Rock West and stuff where it's a night scene, we just got to light it, just light the scene just so it show what, what's going right, on. Right. This actually heightens the mood of it. And then when the room just is full on haunted, the lights turn into this gross bathroom like <laughs> fluorescent lighting, yep. um, which lights everything completely different. The warm colors on the wall, um, the wallpaper suddenly turns green and yellow and gross and everything just looks old. Mm-hmm. And then when the room finally gets all destroyed after the, the boat with the, when the paintings come alive and the boat really crashes into mm-hmm. the, into the room, which I really like that scene, the sunlight kind of coming through is almost ethereal. It's almost like he's now that room is now in another plane of existence. And you've got that kind of golden white light kind of shining through the cracks. And that's, what's lighting the scene. Mm-hmm. And I thought the lighting in the film was really, really well done. I do like that. The real, when he's in the real world, at the beginning it's, it's very warm as well. Mm-hmm. 
And then everything kind of gets colder as soon as he reaches New York in general. Right. There's a lot of more darker colors going on. I know what I was going to say. Okay. So I think they have the benefit of having the room because the room is a set. So, it's, yeah. it's, so they have the benefit of being able to play with the set and stuff like that, which I mean, with what happens within the room, it needs to be a set. So, you know, with the snow and the and the water crashing in from the painting uh, and, and just everything destroying the room, the fire that it needs to be a set, which is which I appreciate because I don't mind that. Right. I really like when the post office becomes the when they're tearing it, down. tearing it down and the, it turned like the post office set is built within the hotel room. Yeah, I thought that was really well done and really cool. The whole dream state was way too long. I feel like the dream state might have been longer than in the original. Okay, which is fine. But like, as like as soon as it kept going, I'm like, this is not real. Like, I knew it wasn't real, and I may, maybe they weren't trying to hide it. But like, I knew it wasn't real, and it's like, come on, because there's no way we're if this is the end, there's no way we're staying in, the, in this thing. But and if it's longer in the extended, then that you know it makes sense. Think right. About it. I think a lot of the real world quote unquote stuff, including the where he feel like the fake out, is all way longer than it was. Right. Because I remember most of the hotel room stuff is in it. The vent scene with the dead guy in the vent. That's supposed to be the guy. I, I read this later because I didn't get this in the movie. It's supposed to be the guy that cuts his own throat, but then tries to sew it back up. I, I got that. Okay, I didn't get that. Because when he raises his head, you see it. Oh, and he says it. the name, which he says in the hotel okay, room briefly. Okay, I didn't see that. Okay, I didn't hear that. Um, but I didn't get it the first. This is like my third time now. I was like, that's that guy. <laughs> but I always figured it was a victim that went missing or something. But that scene in the vent is way longer and also kind of reminded me of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. When the Easter Bunny comes after him, jeez, oh, it's the same kind of lighting, it's the same kind of camera angles. Yeah, so I felt like it was like you stole Deacon's Easter basket, <laughs> the biggest vent ever in this movie. That scene used to scare the crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, on the subject, since we're talking about camera angles and look and stuff right. like that, they do in the beginning. They do a couple of quick zooms in, zoom ins. Did you notice that? Like, there's stuff where like they're doing like these, like they're in a medium shot and then it zooms not to a super close up. Maybe it zooms in like. Instead of like, instead of you see like his the head, the top of his head, and like his chest, it zooms into just to like his a little higher and a little lower. Where in the, the where in the film? Inside in the beginning when he's in the room, when he's first starting in the Before, room, okay. none of the stuff has happened. They do a couple quick zooms, zoom ins, and I'm like, and they don't ever. I don't really think they repeat them. And I was just like, why are we doing this? And that was something I didn't like. And we always talk about. It was one of them when he reaches the thermostat? Oh, maybe it was. That's the only thing I can. That's the only one I can remember. It, it was. It, it was like twice, two or three times, and that was it. And then it was done. Then stop. And, and again, okay. maybe I missed the rest of them, but it was only before the the stuff started happening in the room in terms of the room effing fucking with them and stuff like that. Were they doing like smooth movements maybe before the hauntings no. kind of started? And then no, it was just. That? It was like they were doing the quick shots, and then and they, they, they were having. Yeah, they were afterward. doing a couple quick zooms, and I I was just like, why? Like that was just really my question was why are we doing this? Now, in your notes, and I don't know if maybe you were able to find this out, because I was wondering when I was watching this this time, um, did they film this in order? What and do you then, mean? Because the set really gets Oh, I don't, I don't up. know. They probably, uh, I'm guessing here, but they probably had a couple sets. That's what I was wondering. Is a couple sets? Did they redress the same set after as they destroy well, it? They probably had. Obviously, uh, the burnt down set. Is it going to be a new set? That's its own set. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're going to have to have a set where you're going to flood it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they probably had a couple sets they just used. They might have shot in order and just been like, okay, we're going to burn this up or whatever. But yeah, they probably, and movie magic, they probably were able to do a lot of that stuff. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the water stuff is real. So it's cool that it's not CGI. I thought the phone melting, you remember the phone I melting? I like the phone melting. So I, I thought, thought that was, cool. was stop motion. That was not stop motion. That was CGI. Really? So what they did was they 
have a spit a special marker a special blue marker and they would they had it uh pieces of the phone were colored in it and so they would shoot it they would take so then obviously the pieces of the blue were what would they would do in this uh, would they make it melt and they just kind of like they would take pieces away as they kept shooting it and then they put it all together and they would make it look like it melted so that was more of a it was a computer effect the melting it wasn't stop motion which, uh, that was pretty cool yeah i, I like thought that. it was stop yeah. motion too i'm like oh i'm awesome but then no it wasn't so which is fine too. Well it looked done. good yeah. yeah yeah no it, it was done it was done well it's probably the be- a better use of the cgi because we couldn't tell and it looked real so, well that's yeah. the thing it's it's you can uh, cgi is a great tool when it's not overused or it's used and it's it's hidden that you can't tell that it's cgi mm-hmm. Which a lot of people don't care about, it seems, when they make movies. Just well, make it CGI. I don't care if they can tell. It's cheaper to do. Yeah. It's it's more expensive to do it practical. And there's probably not a lot of people that know how to do practical effects as you get older. Oh, because I, I get that, yeah. All those people that grew up with it are passing away or retiring and they don't do it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I get that. There was a moment in the movie where the camera's spinning. Like, he, I think it's when... He's in the he's not in the room or what like the post office scene doesn't moment like he grabs his head and he, he pulls down the camera. Oh, when when they're taking down when they're right. taking down the post office. He makes the weirdest face in that. Like like I'm like, what is what is this face you're making? Like it was almost like give me crazed deranged. And I was just it was <laughs> it was it really was really off putting. And that that's kind of a nitpick. I shouldn't be like that. I feel like he makes a lot of weird faces, which I actually kinda like. He yeah. makes some really unattractive looking like weird faces. <laughs> and it's like he doesn't care. Like he just he wants to emote the scene. He doesn't just he doesn't want to like just look good on camera, which obviously his outfit choice. It's like you're not going to anyway. <laughs> but it's like he really does just kind of elicit fear. His his jaw and jowls are hanging down the entire movie, just like uh, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> so trivia. I got some trivia for you. Okay. This is the third Stephen King adaptation that John Cusack has been in. Can you name the other two? And I'll give you a hint. One of them, Sam Jackson, was in as well. That's right. And it's fairly newer. I don't know what song no, that is. I, I, I got out. All right. Know. So the cell, that was one. I remember yep. when the cell phones are all like. Uh, oh, that was a Stephen King that one? Was a, that, 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 okay. And then Stand By Me. He played, he played the brother that dies. Uh, I forgot yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Should have been you, Gordo. Yeah, he played the brother that died. I forgot about him in that movie. Quick trivia. I got to watch Stand By Me again. I haven't watched it in a while. Shame on you. That's my fiance's favorite movie. It's a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> now, he said sickum, but what I heard was chopper, sick balls. <laughs> <laughs> that was my best Richard Dreyfus doing Stand By Me. <laughs> um, but on the topic of this being adaptation, do you think that this story would work better as a short film if it was just 20 minutes, 30 minutes? I mean, anything can be a feature. You can take any. I, I don't know if I've I don't know if I've had this discussion with you on on one of our episodes, but I wrote I wrote a short story called 22 Miles from Trenton. Yeah, we, we talked about it not on the episode, but on okay. the episode, yeah. So I have this feature called Kiddo. Yes. And I wrote it as a short. I wrote this like really quick short and it was maybe like 15, 20 minutes that had pieces of what Kiddo became. And we were going to try to do it, me and my buddy. And we were going to look, I think we were looking for 50K uh, or like 20K or something like that. And uh, he had brought it to a producer or line producer. And he said, listen, if you, uh, I can get your money for this easier if it's a feature. So then I was like, all right, fine. So then I went back and wrote it as a feature. Of course, I wrote an $80 million feature, but whatever. <laughs> but, but, you know, but we obviously, obviously didn't get funding for that. Then I wrote the movie 22 Miles from Trenton. And that was the same conversation we had. Like, well, should we just, 
make this into a feature. And I'm like, no, this is a short. This is a, a short script. And that's how it, you know, I don't, if I try to do a feature, it's going to, I think I'm going to just be doing a different movie and I'm going to be adding stuff that doesn't make any sense. And I think it'll be boring. And 22, real quickly, 22 miles from Trenton represents where um, Martians land in the War of the Worlds broadcast that came out in 1939. Uh, so uh, it's it's basically takes place back then. So that that's kind of like in the in the script. That's what he says. Twenty two miles from Trent mm-hmm. in Grover's Mill. So, anyways, so with this movie, do you think this movie would have been better short film? Did you read the short story? Because I did not. I didn't. I wanted to before we did this, and then I was like, oh man, I didn't. We just we got too much things going on. Um, I would say no, but on, only because the movie itself, the the real movie. I, I'm talking about the theatrical cut. This is one of the few times where. I don't prefer the director's cut. The real movie is quick. It moves. It's 94 minutes. It's you're in the hotel. When I watched it, I was like, wow, that was quick. That was great. It's done. This one. Yeah, it dragged. It dragged a little bit. It's 20 minutes too long. I don't think it needs to be a short film. I think it was fine how it was. I think you could do it as a short film. You absolutely. Could start off, right. You could start off with the door opening and he's entering the room. You could absolutely yeah. do that. Does it need to be? No. Yeah. This is definitely a one of uh, a movie that could be turned into a short film. Would it be better for it? I don't. I don't know. Right. Because now you're really gonna not show much about the daughter and his relationship. Well, you're gonna waste the, time doing the that. Daughter you want to show not, more of the scares. The daughter's not in the short story. The short story is that his brother dies of lung cancer, and that's like that's he. So he had and he's a smoker, obviously. So okay. that that's kind of like which. I, it, so I think the daughter is something that was made for the movie. That's fine. Um, but in terms of the cigarette, since I brought it up, I don't get thing with the cigarette it doesn't make any sense to me oh, i put a cigarette down like he only lights it when he gets he so he doesn't he doesn't smoke anymore he used to be he's he's like a huge smoker and right. then he starts doing this stuff and he's only gonna smoke unless he sees a ghost is that why no the ghost is his end of the world kind of thing nuclear nuclear apocalypse he says so like that's just his he keeps it in his ear for like one last one last hurrah, basically. Gotcha. Not if there's a ghost, just it's and it's his writer superstition. He always has it when he does. Okay, things. all right. Um, so obviously, when that place is burning down and he's pretty <laughs> sure he's gonna die, he's smoking the cigarette, which I really like when he's smoking. He goes quiet and he's like talking to the room as it's burning down. It's done. <laughs> so the liquor bottle he uses as the uh, Molotov cocktail that yes. he makes. Did you do you know the name of that and all that stuff? Okay, so the name of the the name of the liquor bottle, the name of the liquor mm-hmm. is I don't want to say this wrong because it's French. Le Cinquante Sept Deces, whatever that friggin' okay. I, I said that wrong, but it's supposed to mean the fifty seven deaths. And after he gets the liquor bottle, Jackson tells him that there's been fifty six deaths in the room, so he is supposed to be fifty seven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. I thought you would like that. I like that a lot. I like those little things. I like that things, like you said, add up to 13. Well, there's tons kind of, of yeah. stuff. I, I like that. There's like, yeah. hidden stuff in the movie that you put in that doesn't really like where it's so hidden that you're not like, eh? eh? <laughs> and like really like winking at the camera. Like as long as it's hidden and it's just like clever, I'm okay with that. Well, I guess because uh, I was going through all the notes and like that's like it, there's a ton of stuff like that. And there were so many that are like, I'm not writing these down. I, don't, I, don't, I can't be bothered. But, but I did. They did say that they so they shot this on the same. Uh, set that they shot the shining and the when the when the uh firefighters break into the room they're using the same axe that he uses in the shining oh cool so i thought you'd like that i like that (laughs) uh i also like the kind of toward the end i was getting which i didn't notice the first time it's almost got a little bit of like kind of an evil dead vibe at the end 
where it's like re- the room's really messing with him and Mike's really like talking back at it. Mm-hmm. Really reminds me of Evil Dead 2 when the room just kind of isn't so much trying to kill uh, Ash. It's just trying to drive him mad. Yeah. Like when the animals start talking to the walls and the lamp starts dancing with him and stuff like that. And then at this point, Mike is kind of having a conversation with this room and he's really driven mad. Kind of gave me that kind of same vibe. Right. So I thought that was like a kind of I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but it started to give me a nice call back to that. And some of the shots were very similar where it's like kind of like the side by side shots where your your character is almost supposed to be talking to somebody and he's on the right side of the screen like Mike's on the right side of the screen shouting at a nothing character because (laughs) the room is the character which they also did in Evil Dead 2 I noticed yeah so I don't know if that was on purpose or not but I thought that was kind of clever uh the only kind of reference that I got between another movie was um when he's looking out the window and he sees the other dude. Oh, yeah. And it's him. And he's in the all dressed in black. Do you remember the movie The Dark Half with Timothy Hutton? So that's another Stephen Vaguely. King. That's based on a Stephen King book. And he's like a writer in that book. And he has two. He has an evil side who does all these evil things and killing people. And he's trying to stop himself. It's but it's like he has split and he's mm-hmm. become two different people. So that reminded me of that because in the dark half he dresses all in the movie. He dresses all in black and he's like, you know, this like badass and stuff like that. So, yeah, that I. That's the only thing that reminded me of any other film in this movie was that movie. Gotcha. So you didn't like the extended. I didn't. I like the original ending. I don't like the be. I I'm watching the beginning. I'm like, I don't remember. This isn't from yeah. the beginning. This is this is way long. And my girlfriend's like, was the surfboard? I don't remember the surfboard scene. The surfboard scene was in it. But I don't remember the Fairfield Inn, or at least it wasn't that long. Right. Um, the book signing, I don't remember being that long. But I do remember, obviously, I remember um, the book signing part where he talks about his other book. Right. And the father-son um, comparison. Right. But the movie just moves after that. It's like, here's here's some hints at you. You got the surf thing, so maybe he did die. You got that he does haunted hotels and he wrote another book. Let's go to New York. All right, let's do this. Right. And it moves really quick. Um, I do really like the conversations he has with Samuel Jackson. I like that whole part, that whole section is great i believe it was just that long last time which i'm okay with get all your exposition out at the beginning it's still interesting it's still well acted and then boom let's go into the hotel and start doing it um i like that there's no monster i like that it's not super violent it's not you know about monsters or ghouls or ghosts it's just an evil fucking room Mm -hmm. um i like that it's one character it's almost very stagish that way it's Mm -hmm. almost like a play um, so th- there's a lot I really like about this film. I also like that the ghost CCs or the visions of the people that died in the hotel. They look like TV yeah. scenes from the ages that they died, mm-hmm. which I thought was really clever. Um, like I said, the lighting, the camera. He only angles. saw two, though. You did only see two, yeah. but I'm OK with just seeing two. Because <laughs> then you don't want it to be too long. I don't need to see all 56. I understand. I didn't. I don't I, I don't think I'd go back and watch this version again. No, I I would want to get the Blu-ray and just watch the original the theatrical. theatrical cut. Yeah, because this is too long, and the ending just kind of ruins the whole film. As yeah. I'm watching the ending, I was like, "What? No!" <laughs> and I, I'm really sorry that that's the version you saw. Like we've watched extended cuts before. Sure, sure. Like where you've watched extended MacGruber and extended Eighteen, but it didn't fundamentally change the movie. Where I feel like this director cut really fundamentally changes the movie, and I don't think for the better. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's fair. I mean, unfortunately, that's the one I saw. Yeah. Jerk. Thanks a lot. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. I'm good. So, yeah. 
I'd say this is definitely a movie worth a rewatch. It's Everything's a different kind of horror better. movie. But you, but you're saying watch the theater. Try to get the theatrical. Just watch cut. the theatrical yeah. cut. I don't. If you think, haven't seen this, yeah. I don't think the extended cut really does it any kind of. And service. if you've seen the theatrical cut, you should probably check out the extended just to kind of see what we're talking about. I'm. I don't like the other two endings you described to me. But I, do <laughs> kind of want, I want to check them out just to see them. I don't even know. But. I mean, I, I maybe you can probably find them on YouTube. The Japanese version, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. But overall, a really good different horror flick that's more unnerving than... I say, I wouldn't say it's scares. horror. I say it's ghost story. That's fine. Yeah, that, I mean, not like Near Dark like we had, or not like the ones we got coming up, but it's more ghost story-ish. I wouldn't... I mean, I, I think it, a horror genre is so broad. It is, yes. So I, I would... You could probably put it under the horror genre, but I'm probably sure it's in a subgenre of the horror genre. So yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's So uh, I could see that. So yeah, no. So I guess, yeah, calling it a horror is fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we should be. We did it for Forgotten Horror. That's right. <laughs> I'm just glad we finally got one that you haven't watched. Oh, well, there's another one coming up, but not next week because next week we're going to be doing the animated, uh, that's horror, the animated scary story, Monster House. Yes. Um, which I kind of really, I kind of, spoiler alert, I kind of liked. But I, I will say this I think, I, I'll save it for next week, but <laughs> I think that the animation has dated itself. In that oh, really? One. Already? Because yes, I had seen it and I was just like, ooh. But we'll we'll watch it. We'll talk about that. Well, next it's like week. Meet the Robinsons, I thought it was the same. Anyway. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, we digress. Um, so real quick, I guess we'll talk about us as we always do. Let's plug. <laughs> yeah. So MichaelDfield.com is my website. You can check out all the stuff I've done there. Uh I've got two books out, Adam Parker series. They are on Amazon.com for ebook and paperback. And uh, Forgotten Cinema, I'll plug because Mike's going to plug all his stuff. So if you uh, if you like us or if you hate us, I guess, uh, feel free to review and rate us. Ooh, that rhymed. Uh, subscribe. Please uh, share with friends. Uh, let us let them know what we're about. Uh, if you want to suggest a movie for our upcoming season three, because this is the we're wrapping up season two with our Forgotten Horror series. Mm hmm. Uh, go onto the website forgottencinemapodcast.com uh, there's a contact uh, page suggest something to us we'll we'll take it under advisement we usually do suggestions uh, you can also suggest on our uh, various social media channels Facebook Twitter and Instagram we're around just look for us Forgotten Cinema and uh, yeah that's it Mike take it away alright I've got two other podcasts that I do I've got Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise a podcast about brews news and pop culture reviews where every every episode me and my fiance Elise we crack open a new craft beer uh, different style, different brewery. We talk a little bit about the brewery, the beer, the history of the beer, where it came from, other beers that were like it. And then as we're sipping on that beer, we talk about the latest pop culture news in terms of, you know, what's streaming, what's out in theaters um, and TV at the time. And we review, we tell you about the latest entertainment news, not who's sleeping with who, but more like what's coming out <laughs> and who did contracts. What? Well, a lot of people like entertainment news. It's like he divorced this person. It's like, that's not what we're about. We're about well, that, what's coming out and what, what, what you should be excited about. And uh, so that's Crack and Run Open with Mike and Elise. It's available wherever podcasts can be found. We're also on all the social medias at Crack and Run Open. I've also got two player bros that I do with my brother, Alex, where we're two brothers who play way too many video games where we review everything from Xbox, PlayStation, Switch to PC and VR. Uh, we also preview things and we talk about the latest video game news and what we think about it. So that is two player bros that is also available wherever podcasts can be found and also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember next week, Monster House, as I said before. That's right. Uh, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Horror. Keep it spooky. Oh, stop. Man, that's <laughs> terrible. The fact that you hate it makes me love it. <laughs>